Good morning, Proverbs class. Sunday morning, February 3rd. Um, back by popular demand. Not back, but... We are... We're going to take an excursus and look at the doctrine of calling. So let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for the privilege of gathering together freely in this land. Thank you for this lovely structure. Thank you for the people of God who are Wallace Presbyterian Church. And I thank you for the privilege of pastoring them, being entrusted with the responsibility to teach them. We pray our time together will be highly encouraging to our hearts. You, you, uh, you will send your spirit, Lord Jesus, to teach, to inform, to convict, to bring light, hope, grace, glory, and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So we decided last week we'd take this excursion into the doctrine of calling. And why would we do that? Because almost everybody wonders, what does God want me to do? And I've actually uh, sat with a number of elderly people in my ministry who are relatively incapacitated. They're oftentimes um, confined to their homes. And they're still asking the question, why am I still here? They want to die and go be with Jesus. And they're asking the question, why am I still here? And what that reflects is something God has put in all of our hearts to do something, to make a difference, to have an impact. And we probably can trace that back to the cultural mandate. Adam and Eve, before sin, were given a job to do. They're to subdue the earth, to fill the earth, to make culture. And that desire is still in all of our hearts. Whether it's, what does God want me to do today? What does God want me to do next year? What does God want me to do with my entire life? So, number one, this is, in fact, a wisdom issue. Because how you, um, your calling is a function of how you spend time. We've looked at the question of time and sloth as a wisdom issue. How you spend your money or make your money, your work. <clears throat> what you do with your body, the way you expend energy, your mind, your gifting. All of these are factors negotiating the path of life. Here's an interesting verse, Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. So here's a verse that says that God gives skill and gift to people for their jobs. Some people don't stand before kings. Other people do stand before kings. This is also a faith issue that what God has called us to do he called us, he calls us to believe that's the thing he wants us to do. Somebody read for us the passage there from Romans 14. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. The issue there is uh, a Christian's freedom to eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol. That's what's really going on in the background. It's also addressed in 1 Corinthians. But the point here is, whatever we do, if we don't do it in faith, it's sin. God calls us to do what he wants us to do and to believe that. We're to do it in faith, with trust. This is what God wants me to do. How about the verse from Romans 12? A little bit more pointed as it relates to spiritual gifts. Somebody read that for us. 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure, measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Thank you, Mary. So, we have spiritual gifts. If you're a Christian with your conversion package, God's given you spiritual gifts to use in the body for the edification of the body. And you have natural talents as a part of contributing in the way God's called you to for the cultural mandate. Paul's making the point that because of grace, God has given us different gifts. Those gifts are to be received and used by faith. Trusting that's what God wants us to do. It's thirdly a lordship issue. Whose will do you want? Somebody read this fairly stinging rebuke from James chapter 4. Thank you. So is it wrong in principle to say, hey, I've got business in Seattle. I'm hopping on a plane at BWR tomorrow to go do the business. Is that wrong in principle? No, it's not wrong in principle. What's wrong with a person who says, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there and get, trade and make a profit? What's wrong with that according to this verse? Why is it arrogant, as James calls it? What are they not saying? If the Lord wills. This is the person, I was a career counselor at the University of Virginia for four years, and I had different types of Christian students who came in, and some would come in and say, I just want to be in the will of God. What is that? I just want to do what God wants me to do. And other students come in and say, I want to work for Coca-Cola in Atlanta. How do I get there? <laughs> and I'd also take them to this verse. Oh, wait. What does God want me to do? That's the first question. And it may be that he wants me to work for Coca-Cola in Atlanta, and we have to tease that out, but it's the heart that's submitted to, I want God's will. I want to do what God wants me to do. That's the starting place. Um, <clears throat> and we're all given uh, different gifts and abilities, and that's what makes the world a merry place. So why aren't I called to be a surgeon? Because I'm terrible at science, and I can't stand the sight of blood. Why aren't I called to quarterback in the NFL? I quarterbacked a year in college and high school. Why aren't I called to quarterback in the NFL? I'm not good enough. Why aren't I called to be a professional musician? I don't know a sharp from a C minor from an F plus or whatever. <laughs> I don't know C. I don't know any of these things. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. But there's a calling for my life over here. Speaking of lordship, 
Do any of you know how the story of David and Bathsheba begins? Catherine? The rest of his people were in battle, and it was not. It was the time of year when kings go out to battle. David is in Jerusalem. Is David king? Where should he be? In battle. He's not doing the thing God called him to do. And he got in a lot of trouble as a result. Very important warning. Right? We're to be doing the things God has called us to do. It's also an ambition issue. Somebody read these wonderful words from Paul in Philippians <coughs> chapter 1. He has such a passion for the people of God and their welfare. And remember, probably by the time he's writing Philippians, his body's been pummeled. He's been whipped. He's been persecuted. He's been stoned. No wonder he wants to be with Jesus. But it's more necessary for your sake, for fruit to be born in your life. Now, are we called to be apostles? I don't think any of us are. He was. Are you called to be a minister like I am? No, we all have different callings. They aren't, they aren't more sacred than anything else. It's, again, it's the cultural mandate. God wants the world blessed with culture. Paul couldn't have gone anywhere if people didn't have a calling to build roads. Paul couldn't eat food if there were people called to be farmers. Paul couldn't use paper for his letters if there weren't people called to produce paper. See, it all works together. So, and I'll tease out what the questions are we want to ask ourselves in just a little bit. All right, let's pause there. We're going to slightly shift gears for number five. Anything you would like to say, comments you'd like to make on what we've seen thus far? Okay, number five. This is a multifaceted issue. Now, that's one of those words that theologians just love. Multiperspectival. Multifaceted. You know, we, we just love these kind of words. But, so, here's what I mean. There are at least three issues involved here and when it comes to calling. And that is, we are called first to Christ. That's our first calling. Through our union with Christ, to communion with Him, friendship with Him, to know and adore Him through word and worship, in fellowship with His sufferings, being conformed to His image. So far more important than whether or not you're a good banker, teacher, nurse, bus driver, executive, whatever it is, far more important than that is what's first. According, if, if what I'm saying to you is true and biblical, what's first? To belong to Christ. Your fellowship with Christ. Your communion with Christ. Your enjoyment of Christ. 
That's first. Because what difference really ultimately does it make if you own Amazon or Google or Microsoft, which these companies have blessed our culture, right? What good is it if ultimately the work is finished and you perish forever in hell? Would that be tragic? Yeah. And people with, I didn't used to know what to do with people who were really gifted but weren't Christians. Like, how do I make sense of that? They're really good at what they do. Tom Brady. Okay. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. They're really good at what they do. <laughs> and obviously, who's given them the talent? God. Who's given them breath to do it? Who's given them the energy to do it? See, every, every athlete you see on the fields this evening at the Super Bowl, every breath in their lungs, every beating in their hearts is ultimately from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the point is, it is high time they acknowledge it if they haven't. That's the point. Very gifted people. It's time to acknowledge where those gifts came from, where the breath came from, where the energy came from. Your body's ability to absorb fluid and make, give you energy, absorb food. It's all from God. God should all get all the glory. So it's our first calling is to know and endure and enjoy Jesus Christ and conform to his image. So, you can, so here's a litmus test. In your work, is there something inherent in your work that's working against you being conformed to the image of Christ? If there is, what should you do? Get a different job. If in your work you're inherently working against being conformed to the image, you've got to get a different job. Right? And then we're called by Christ to serve him in his world. Again, a series of G's. So if you haven't seen the bulletin this morning, beloved, you're going to see 30 C's that talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I know I'm stupid. I'm a fool for even trying, but that's what it is. Um, here, are, here are some G's that talk about how we're called to serve Christ in his world. For his glory, by his grace, with gratitude, why me? Why do I have these gifts? Why, why do I have this precious calling? Whatever it is. Using his gifts, you've been, they've been, you've been entrusted with those gifts by him as long as he desires. Right? If I've got a spiritual gift, I'm supposed to use it for God's glory. If God wanted to pull it for me, he could. Don't ever want to take that for granted. He could just say, if he wanted to. So with humility, dependence upon him, According to his godly means, we want to use our gifts and talents in truth and righteousness. Resting in his goodness, God provided in the past, he'll provide again. Remembering his grand plan, God is working all things together in our lives for our good and his glory. So that you can be generous, you have an income, so you can give money to other people. For society's good, the Jeremiah 29.7, is, uh, Israel is in exile in Babylon, and God says... Seek the shalom of the city where I put you. Make it a better place. I know it's not home. I know you can sit by the willows according to Psalm 137 and weep because they're tormenting you. Sing us the songs of Zion. But as long as you're in Babylon, work to make that city a better place. So a test for a church is what? If Wallace disappeared, would College Park be worse off? Would it be missed? Hopefully. 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 So that's one of the questions. Are we blessing the community? Um, with the goal of gifted competence, whatever you do, you should say, Lord, make me the best I can be at this. Don't strive for mediocrity. Don't strive for nothing. You'll hit it. 
Strive to be the best you are at what you are. Why wouldn't you? That glorifies the God of excellence. And without gloating, you're never great for yourself. Questions or comments on that portion? Thank you. So I've, you've probably had a situation like this. You're, you're, you're talking to maybe a relative stranger, and they're observing the work of someone else that you know. They don't know that you know that person. And they say, man, that person is really good at what they do. And you're thinking, thank the Lord for the testimony of that Christian person who does their work in such a way that it's evident to that other person. See what I'm saying? And then the third point here is uh, we're called according to his plan for a particular vocation. For, uh, this is the, the reformers had a lot of wonderful doctrines they give us. One of them uh, uh, made popular by Luther was the doctrine of vocatio, the, uh, the idea of calling, that all of life is God's life and I'm not more special than you because I'm a pastor. We need everybody to do their, their work to make a society what God wants it to be. So we all have a different calling. Now I stole this one from Tim Keller, which is, I've drawn this diagram a thousand times, particularly with younger people wondering what they're supposed to do with their lives. It's a, you can uh, identify your calling as a function or confluence of three things, affinity, affirmation, and ability. Now, it's especially true when it comes to uh, my calling to ministry, okay? So living in Lynchburg, Virginia, pastoring in Lynchburg, Virginia, guess what was in our backyard? Liberty University. We had lots of Liberty faculty and students coming to our church, so I met with a lot of students who were asking the question, does God want me to go into ministry? Why are they asking that question? Because that's a huge emphasis of Liberty. Every, you know, everyone is this, like, now they have nursing schools, they have med schools, they have business school, they have all these different schools. Mr. Jerry Falwell understood this idea of culture. But a lot of students would come and say, hey, uh, you know, the world's dying, the world needs the gospel, am I called to missions, am I called to ministry, am I called to be a pastor? So I've had many cups of Starbucks with young men wondering, am I called to be a pastor? So this diagram is extremely helpful. There's three things you want to look at. <coughs> Affinity is the internal subjective drawing towards it. I think I like that, right? Let's suppose you want to be an economist. I'm really, I'm personally drawn to the whole field of this, okay? There's an affinity. No one can deny that of you. It's just very subjective and oftentimes very real. So people have an affinity. Do you have the ability to do that job? Does God call you to do something that you don't have the gifting or talents to do. Not likely. He calls you to do something and requisitely gives you the ability to do it. So you want to ask, do I have the ability? That's why it's great for churches to provide opportunities for young people, men and women, to test their gifts out. Use your gifts in a ministry setting and see what happens. So here's, here's an example from our life. When Janice and I were first married in 1978, we moved to Charlottesville, Virginia to work on our graduate degrees. By the Lord's amazing providence, we found this PCA church, and what's the first thing they did? They said, well, the church leadership said, oh, young couple, go down and work with the youth. 
<laughs> but that's what you do with young couples. Well, we went down and worked with the youth for about a semester, and guess what? That wasn't my calling. I wasn't called to work with youth. We were happy to serve, happy to serve, but that wasn't my thing. My thing was going to be more working with college students at that point in my life, because I worked with college students at the university. So, so it's okay to ask people to volunteer and serve. You don't need a calling to serve in the nursery. I had an individual once when we were renting space at, um, in my, my church plant in Fort Worth a long time ago. We were renting space, and I came up to this guy and I said, would you help us put away the hymnals? He goes, that's not my gift. <laughs> so bad, it's funny. You don't need a gift to put away hymnals, right? You don't need a gift to serve in the nursery. We, on behalf of our parents, serve in the nursery. Okay, so uh, I got a little sidetracked there, sorry. Um, so they sent us down the hall to work with the youth, and after about a semester, it's like, this really isn't my gifting. But also, you know that by trying it out. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe I found that, oh, I'm really good with youth because I had that opportunity. So you have ability, and then you have affirmation. And one of the things our denomination does well, supposed to do well, is affirmation. And particularly when it comes to calling to the ministry, the church has something to say. So I might wake up one morning with, with a, an affinity to preach. Does that mean I'm called to be a preacher? Absolutely not. All it means is I have an affinity for it. I might be mistaken. I've known people with an affinity for missions. And as they went through the process of itinerating and everything, and there's a technical word I'm forgetting now where you go through the, all the testing and everything, it turned out his wife wasn't called to Africa like he was. And if his wife isn't called, guess what? He's not called. Right, so, so the affirmation part is, in our denomination, the church courts examine you. The church courts interview you. The church courts, in our case, the presbytery, has a right to scrutinize your sense of calling is the ability in there, although we don't do really good with ability, although you preach a sermon you know, when you're getting examined and everything, but that's not nearly enough, is the knowledge there, et cetera, et cetera. And so the church courts are the function to confirm you have that, and of course the local church should as well. I'll bet in the history of Wallace, you, the church has seen gifts in young men and young men and young women begin to blossom and the church says you need to go into the ministry. I'm sure that's happened in the history of Wallace. In Lynchburg, Virginia, I, had, I sat down at Starbucks with numbers of young men who said, I feel called to, uh, to the ministry. And I would always say, put that on the back burner. Start serving in the local church. Ask for places to serve. See what abilities are there. And then ask people in leadership, do they concur? Ask the people of God, yeah, we really are blessed when you teach. People really are blessed when you lead a small group. People seem to be drawn to you to get encouragement and shepherding, and they love to pray with you. So the church has a say if someone is called to the ministry. And that's affirmation. The church puts its stamp on you. I think you can transfer this over to um, non-church work. Is there something, you younger people, I was talking to Aaron earlier. He's a student across the street. If there's an affinity probably for something in your heart right now, 
Um, your professors are going to give you that affirmation. Ultimately, your first employer gives that affirmation, takes a chance on you. Where are your natural abilities? Okay. Any questions about this? Does that make sense? And look, if a guy, I'm talking about being called to the ministry. If there's no affinity for it, is he called? No. Why would you do something there's no subjective desire to do? And then unfortunately we get people in the ministry who don't have the gifts. That one's hard. Because somewhere along the way the church rubber stamp it. Well, he wants to preach, let him preach. And then they got fled and, and then he didn't have the person doesn't have the gifts for it. And that's not that's a very difficult situation. Okay. Let's move on then to the next little bit, tease this out a little bit more for a non-religious calling. Here's some questions you can ask yourself to tease out, particularly if the future's in front of you. And that is, what is my ideal job as far as I know? So I've talked to a lot of people over the years. My career counseling background has served me well in the ministry because Christians are often in transition. They're thinking about what they want to do, want to do next in their life. And one of the questions you can ask is, okay, dream a little. What would you, just wave a magic wand, you wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to work whistling. I mean, you're really excited about going to work. What is it you're doing? That often can be help tease out what God's called you to do, because maybe he's put a desire in your heart for that. Another way to put it is, if money was no object, what would I do? I actually had to ask, uh, that's actually the question, the older I get, I'm going to be 63 this month, and I think in terms of calling, serving as a tenure pastor is history. I don't see, as far as I know myself, I don't see myself serving in another one of those. And if money was no object, if somebody said, hey, I'm just going to pad your bank account with a cool million dollars, what do you want to do? I think what I would do is interim. I love the work of an interim. I love coming to a church, meeting God's people, sharing the word of God with them, helping a session, work through the things. That's as far as I know right now, that's it. And I might have one more church plant in me, but I'm not sure, but that's kind of in there somewhere. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> so, but even I'm asking the question, what does God call me to do at 63? Okay. Um, Joe? Conversely, uh, what about, uh, you know, uh, Moses? And uh, who's the guy that went to Tarsus? Jones, I think. So, God has made it pretty clear what they want them to do. You're talking about, you know, I, I, wanna, I wanna achieve this. Now we're talking about, I really don't wanna go there. But, how do you, how do you work that? That's a good question. So in, in Jonah's case, he was a racist. That's why he didn't wanna go to Nineveh. He hated the Ninevites. He was a racist. God sent him anyway and surprised him with a revival. So bad on Jonah. Okay? Moses. I feel like Moses. I get up Sunday morning and go, are you kidding? Why'd you call me to preach? I can't do this. Are you kidding? So I throw myself on the mercy of God and say, give me your spirit. Empower the gifts. Let me open my mouth and glorify you. So if Moses is saying, I'm utterly and completely dependent on God to do this because I can't, I'm good with that. And you should, look at your, you should look at your job as a scientist or a teacher or a business person or whatever. You should look at it the same way. Don't just trust your natural talents. Ask God to give grace to them. Wouldn't you want every scientist in the world looking for a cure to cancer to be praying, Lord Jesus, show me the cure. 
Wouldn't you want that? Remember back at uh, Y2K? Some of you may not be old enough. But we were threatened that the whole world was going to blow up because all the computers were based on something that wouldn't transfer over the year 2000. Remember that? Okay, who knows if that was a, was that a hoax? I have no idea. But wouldn't you want the people working on that? Like planes were going to be flying, and, and the moment it struck midnight on Y, you know, year 2000, they're going to fall out of the sky. And no one flew that night somehow. All right, anyway. Wouldn't you want the people working on that to be asking God for the wisdom to solve the problem? Of course. You have problems at work? Whatever the work is, ask God for the solution. Why not? So that, that would be my answer to, to that, to that part. Okay. Now, uh, just, uh, I can't picture... And we know Moses wanted to set his people free because he started to do it in his own strength. And that wasn't going to be God's way, taking a sword out and killing Egyptians. That wasn't God's way. Just so he wanted his people free. Go ahead. So, uh, let's get to the other part of Moses and the other part of Moses. I don't see them whistling at any point. You know, you know they, 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 never, they never come around like... That's fine. Well, I think I would just say I would say don't use Moses as the norm for the doctrine of calling. Use the way God has gifted you as a doctrine of calling. And the, and I'm going to tease out the next thing in just a second. And then if you're not satisfied, we can talk more about it. But so let me get to that. Let me just move down the page here. Um, when Peter's it's David's let's see, is it Paul preaching or Peter. And they reference that David is no, basically they're pointing to the resurrection. We've got David's grave. We don't have Jesus' grave. There's nobody in Jesus' tomb. He rose from the dead. David is referred to as a person there in Acts as a man who served the purposes of God in his generation. You want that said about you? Yes, you do. We are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. And he's going to ask, I gave you life and breath in the wealthiest country in the history of the world. What did you do to serve my purposes in the United States, or maybe you're called a person? What did you do to serve my purposes? That's the question on Judgment Day, beloved. That's the question. I envy you younger people, because you can ask that question now, and by faith, see how God, and it's never too late. So Mary was asking earlier, you know, does this teaching on calling apply to me? Mary's, she's 50 years old. She's in the last. <laughs> now, so I've sat with uh, uh, older people, uh, pastorally, and did I already say this, or is this before everybody got here? Have I said this already in class? No, okay. So, and, and, and they just want to go be with Jesus, and they're saying, why has God left me here? Why has God left me here? He hasn't left you there to, to sit and rot on your sofa. There's still things you can do, like Pray. Pray and ask God if you're able and you have the energy to bring people to your apartment so you can bless them. At, at a minimum, call somebody and say, I just want you to know how much Jesus loves you. There's things you can do even when, when your energy fails. There's a, a, that would be a general calling of all believers. It's 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock, great. I think we're on schedule this morning, believe it or not. What, I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. You've got to ask that question. The key to it is the gifts God's given you. And, and just to clarify, our work is affected by the fall. We have thorns and thistles in our work. So while I think the ideal is you're whistling on your way to work, whistle, what's that, Jiminy Cricket? Whistle while you work? Is that, that is Jiminy Cricket, yeah. 
Your work is affected by the fall. There are thorns and thistles in your work. I'm, I don't want to create unrealistic expectations. Here's another question. What do I like to do over and over and over again that doesn't bore me? The reason that's the important question is every occupation requires repetition. There's something you do over and over and over again that doesn't bore you. Guess what doesn't bore me? Just take a guess. Studying the Word and preparing sermons. I'm not bored doing that. I've been doing that for 35 years. I'm not bored with it yet. That might be, doesn't mean I'm any good at it. It might be an, an indicator of my calling. I'm not bored doing that. If you came to me and you just wanted to visit and get some encouragement and sit in my office, that doesn't bore me. If I'm yawning, it's not because you're bored. I love to meet with people. That might be an indicator that I'm in the place God's called me to be. So think about every job requires repetition. And let me tease it out one more way, and I'm going to build on the work of uh, two men who wrote a book that came out around 1980. And the book was called The Truth About You. It was by Miller and Matson. Anybody heard of it? And they had spent decades doing vocational counseling with people, and, and they're Christians. And they basically said, they believed from Psalm, 1, from Psalm 139 that when God wove you in the womb, he put you together in a certain way with a certain talent and a personality. That was the way God wanted to use you in culture, to fulfill the cultural mandate. What he said is if, if you look at any job and any person and you're looking to match those two with maximum effectiveness and, if you will, maximum fulfillment, that the closer what the job required of you matched up with what the person was like, the greater the effectiveness. So for example, if Monday morning I woke up and when I came to work to do, I was not intrinsically motivated to do, would that be a problem? It would be a problem. So they developed something that they called a motivated ability pattern. And that is, given a certain situation, you are intrinsically driven to do that job. That means not without thorns, thistles, and tears. And what they did is they teased out five factors that I have on the handout for you that are involved in any job and that can be descriptive of any person. They said, first of all, every job involves working with a certain subject matter, using certain abilities, under certain circumstances, with a certain quality of interaction with people, working towards an end result. You can, you can, you see that on the handout. It's, it's, uh, it's right there under under what am I intrinsically motivated to do? Those are the five things in the parentheses. Got it? Can you find it on the handout? Yeah. Okay. So every job involves some subject matter, abilities that are needed to do it, a certain quality of interaction with people, right? The president of the university is working with donors, the scientists slaving away in a lab trying to, slaving away, what's that tell you? I think about, you know, being in a lab. <laughs> the scientists in a lab with, with she and her test tubes. But, but implicitly, if this, is, if this is what she's called to do, she wakes up in the morning and says, give me those test tubes. I can't wait to try to find a cure for whatever it is. Right. 
So there's a there's a certain uh, quality of interaction with people. And in, in the case of, of a scientist, they're, they're not leading them. They're not influencing them. They might be consulting once the results are found. There are circumstances involved in the work, and there's an end result you're trying to achieve. So for example, now, I mean, I'm probably best at looking at my own calling in terms of these things, because that's the easiest thing for me to do. What's the subject matter of my calling? Christianity, the Bible. Am I intrinsically interested in that? Apparently so. God's put that interest in me. Certain abilities that need to be used. A certain quality of interaction with people. So a pastor should have some willingness to lead. Um, also influence. Do I like influencing people? Persuading? Counseling? Meeting with? Yeah, right? Okay, there's... So actually, my job at... Um, my calling involves a number of different types of interaction with people. Like, I'm not terrified when I stand at the pulpit. I'm not terrified of groups. That, that some people, they say they're called to preach and they're terrified, and, and, but God does it anyway. And that's fine. But I don't mind standing in front of a group of people. In fact, when I was first interviewed for, for the interimship, one of the elders walked me in to the worship space. I, I saw it, and he said... Uh, how many people have you preached in front of before? What was he trying to find out? Was my comfort level with a church this size? That, that was a fair question. I won't tell you the answer. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the end result you're trying to achieve? Uh, you know, help people, bless people, encourage people, impart information, see God use a message that people are changed and shepherded, and what are the circumstances of the work? Okay? So you can look at... And if you want to, you younger people, if you say, okay, what's the job that fits all that, you can look at everything you've done in your life up until age, just say, 22. You had a lemonade stand when you were a kid. How many of you had a lemonade stand out on the street? I did. I had an entrepreneurial spirit in me as a kid. I created these little backyard fairs. I had the neighborhood kids come over, you know, like dig in the sandbox to find a quarter and everything. I'd charge them money to get in. <laughs> I, I had this little entrepreneurial spirit in me. Well, guess what I like to do? I like to start things. I started a couple churches. Okay. Is there, a, is there a correspondence between those two things? I think so. Yeah. How's my time, Mary? Uh, it's, you have about six minutes. So let's move, let's move to the number six, a confluence of competing concerns. And actually, before I do, just let me just personally tell you that there are a lot of routes, a lot of avenues to your ideal job. I am extremely blessed in that all three of my children would say they're doing their dream job. All three of my children. Extremely blessed. To God be the glory. They all got there in different ways. One child went to a four-year university. She got a 4.0 at UVA. Oh, good. Mama's brains. <laughs> and she is now an RUF staff staffer. She's in ministry. Okay? Right? And she's also taking advantage of the fact that, I'm sorry, this is terrible. If Jan was sitting here, she'd be doing this. Don't do this. Don't brag on your kids. <laughs> But she's chipping away, and she'll have her master's from RTS in biblical studies. You know, she's done it part-time for a couple of years, so she'll have a master's. One child went 
ended up with a four-year degree, but took about five and a half years to get there because he did two inter internships along the way. And for his work, those internships as a photojournalist were much more important than the classroom study. Much more important. So the internships, he got, he got there five and a half, six years. And I remember many long conversations about, why do I need to go back to school? Well, you need to go back to school to get your degree. So he had internships. One child did one year of college, and that's it. And when he was getting ready to college, he said, what do you want to do? I just want to have fun. <laughs> okay, go have fun. When you're ready to study, we'll pay. Well, then he got into the school of his choice. And we sent him. And many phone calls. How you doing? Are you working hard? I'm chillaxing. You know that word? Chillaxing, that's relaxing and chilling at the same time. <laughs> you got to get a 2.8 for us to keep paying. You got to get a 2.F. He didn't get it. He pulled the plug. That's a hard thing for parents to do. Really hard. Because in this day and age, a four-year degree is very important. Pulled the plug. There was a little floundering. He's now in his ideal job as a financial advisor with uh, Merrill Lynch. Apparently, you don't need a four-year degree to get that. You need to pass the test to get it. You know, the certification. So, so I don't need to brag on my kids, but it illustrates there's different routes to get to your ideal job, and I'm very, very grateful to God for, for that. Let's look at this little diagram that I have here um, as we close. And basically, this is trying to show the number of competing concerns that affect how you're going to serve the Lord in this world. If you look in the middle, you see the up and down line that says danger. The point of this diagram is to keep you to the right of that. Because on the left is, is fulfilling this innate tendency in our hearts to develop our own little kingdom. Paul Tripp, many of you know the name Paul Tripp from former CCFA. He's written a book called A Quest for More. And it's all about resisting the temptation to have our own little kingdom. To be kingdom-minded people. And all I tried to do here is tease out the issues that are involved. So as God gives me vitality and I have a desire to bless others through whatever I do to serve others, I have to keep in mind on the one hand, personal factors. How are we doing? You have about three minutes. Three minutes. The, what are some of the personal factors? These are teased out on the left. What, what about physically? Do I have the energy? Do I have the health? Do I have any bodily limitations? Material concerns, where are the finances? Is there a climate I would do better in a location I'm called to? One of the things that has framed where Janice and I are willing to go is her folks are aging and they live in Philadelphia and although we'd love to go to an interim in Scotland one day and I think those possibilities might be there first because I have a contact who could get me an interim in Scotland. We don't think it would be wise to go across the pond until Janice's folks are with the Lord. Just, she wants proximity to her folks. So, so that's a consideration. That's a family concern, a location concern. And then spiritual, my personality, my passions, my ambitions. How do I want to be a good steward of my gifts? Those are some of the factors in play that, that, um, that, that are real. They're just important things you need to think about. And then, and there's never a conflict between these and kingdom service. The question is how you're making these work together. What are our kingdom concerns? We have family obligations, siblings, grandkids, kids, parents, 
How am I to bless my community, my neighborhood, by the needs of the local church, the needs of the global church? And of course, we're all called to be praying for uh, others in those spheres. The, the point is, there's a, a number of factors in play. Don't hesitate. Uh, I actually created this diagram for a, a, a people in a Bible study that were all 70 years old, and they were thinking about the question of retirement. So, so this, this diagram came about to help them think about what does retirement look like given these concerns and these concerns. And we want to be saved from the propensity to just retreat into our own little kingdom. Right? You get to a certain age, you have the resources, you just kick up your heels and do nothing. I'm, I'm not sure the Lord has called me to do that. That's, that's all. As long as he's given me vitality and a calling to bless others. Okay. That's... That's what we were going to say on calling. Any last questions or concerns? Yes, Catherine? I get concerned with the, question, with, with the statement, ideal job, uh-huh. because I know that I look at my dad, who faithfully went to work for decades, supporting his family. He was the child of Irish immigrants, so he knew what hardship was. And he did not love his job. He did not have an ideal job, but he had the ideal job to give his family what he didn't have. Wonderful. Was that his calling? Given circumstances and, yeah, okay. So we can be, we can be grateful for that. And I just think that we, we're very selfish when we say ideal job. When we talk about ideal job, a lot of times what we're talking about is me, not, even though there is this map, we tend to say, what, what do I like to do? Yeah. So that, that's fair, but looking for, if, for younger people looking forward, what does God want me to do? The answer to that question is in how he's wired you. And in all, he may call you to do something you hate. I sort of doubt it, but all things being equal, where, where he's gifted you with strengths, that's likely to be an indicator of where you're to make a difference in his world. Maybe not everyone has that luxury given their personal circumstances. Good. Thank you. Good question. Uh, Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together. See that we all fulfill the thing you've called us to do to bring glory to your name in this world. For Jesus' sake, amen.